Hello, and welcome to the Unstoppable Rock Podcast. Uh, my name is Sasha Elcott, and this podcast features myself and my partner in rock and roll and in life, Mr. Christopher Viner. We write, record, and distribute our music and tour under the name When Particles Collide. Our business is Unstoppable Rock, LLC. We met in the spring of 2010 in Bangor, Maine, when we were both cast in a production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Because we tour over 40 weeks out of the year, we meet a lot of folks along the way. This is a podcast where we can take the time to sit down and talk to some of those people about DIY music, their hometown, and feature new music that you have likely never heard before. Today, on our first inaugural podcast, we're going to talk with the aforementioned Christopher Viner. Chris Viner, like myself, was born and raised in Bangor, Maine. He started playing music at a very young age, about two years old. And since then, he's played jazz all over the state of Maine. He's been involved in a lot of musical productions in the state of Maine. And also, of course, he's been in a lot of bands. And most recently, he is the drummer and singer in When Particles Collide. It is the first Thursday of the month, so I'm going to go ahead and let you know where you can see a When Particles Collide show during the rest of the month. On Saturday, November 9th, we'll be at Iron Fest, which is in Newport, Kentucky, at the Southgate House. On the 14th, we'll be in Elkins, West Virginia, at Brewstall. On the 15th, we'll be in Morgantown, West Virginia, at 123 Pleasant. On the 16th, we'll be in Lexington, Kentucky, at a private event. On the 21st, we'll be in Port Huron, Michigan, at Schwank Soundstead. On the 22nd, we'll be in Grand Rapids at Cava Casa. On the 23rd, we'll be in Lansing, Michigan at the Robin Theater. On the 24th, we'll be in Youngstown, Ohio at Westside Bowl. And on the 29th, we'll be in Charlottesville, Virginia at Miller's. And on the 30th, we'll be in Richmond, Virginia at Lucy Lane. You can get all of our tour dates, of course, on whenparticlescollide.com or your favorite social media site. Okay, well, let's just delve in to our interview with Chris Feiner. Hi, Chris. Hey, Sasha. <laughs> so let's go ahead and just get started. And why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started playing music? It all started in, let's see, it would have been 1985, around Christmas time. Um, well, it was Christmas. I received my first drum set because prior to that, I had been running around the house with drumsticks, uh, beating on everything that I could possibly find. How did you get drumsticks and no drums? Uh, that's actually a good question. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the answer is, but I'm assuming what it is, is that we went to this church that was very rambunctious and they had you know, a, f a full band and I was very obsessed with the drums and they used to let me play the drums occasionally. I think after the rehearsals, I'm not quite sure. Not during service. I only played during one service. <laughs> um, when I was two and a half, they let me play because I had successfully sang Jesus love me in front of the whole congregation. And I made the deal of, if I got, if I had to sing in front of everyone, then I got to play drums. So I got to play drums there is video evidence of it somewhere in my so parents' basement. So do you basement. think that one of the drummers from the church slipped you some drumsticks? I would assume it was either him or my uncle, who is also a drummer. Could have also been my great-grandfather, but I, I don't really know the answer to the question. <laughs> That's probably something we should ask Ed and Vanessa, who are my parents. Right. <laughs> so 
it started that early and then i i've played drums ever since then i started taking lessons actually when i was i think seven or eight years old the northern conservatory in bangor maine and then in fifth grade when band started like when you could take band before school i wanted to do it but i didn't want to play drums because i'd already been taking lessons so i didn't need to learn how to play drums i started playing saxophone alto sax and i played that through my sophomore year of high school and i would play drums on the side in the jazz band i played the saxophone until i got mono my sophomore year and i used the excuse of if i'm playing a reeded instrument and i have mono i'm just going to keep giving myself mono over and over and over again so maybe i should play drums and the for some weird reason, the band director listened to me and let me play drums again. Well, as a former teacher, let me tell you something right now that often teachers will say yes to almost anything that makes their life easier. And arguing with an eight-year-old is like not what any teacher wants to that do. That wasn't eight. Ten. How old were you? I was a sophomore in high school. Oh. Sorry. How many eight-year-olds do you know that get mono, the kissing disease? <laughs> Did you get it from kissing? I don't think so. I think I got it from <laughs> sharing a drink. I didn't have a girlfriend then. Oh, my God. So you've been taking lesson, lessons and involved in the school music programs throughout your childhood. Yeah, as soon as I could start. So, and I know that you spent a lot of time also studying voice yeah. and that voice was a real passion for you. So... Did you feel conflicted, like between drums and voice? Did you know what you wanted to do for a career with either of those things, or were you just not quite sure? I thought I knew what I wanted to do. I mean, I still think I know what I want to do. I just haven't haven't gotten to it in the last twenty plus years. When I graduated, I guess really when I was in middle school, we got a new choir teacher, uh, who we continued to have when we got to high school. And I really fell in love with singing. It was a big passion. I really enjoyed it. I loved acting. So I was doing jazz choir. I was doing musical theater. And the the instructor that I had in high school pretty much kept me on as much of the straight and narrow as possible. I did as little homework as possible so I could still be in those groups. But he helped me through a lot of it. And that's when I made the decision of I would really like to go to school to study voice because I would like to be a choir teacher and be able to have the same impact that he had on me for other children that are going through what I was going through, which was just not caring about anything, but needing something to care about. And I went to school at the university of Maine for a year before I couldn't do it anymore and studied voice and had made the decision to do the jazz combos and the jazz bands on drums so I could still continue to play. So we don't I have to get super into it because obviously we know each other very well. You had something that you really wanted to do and you felt really strongly about, which was to become a choir director at a school, but you didn't wind up doing that, didn't wind up finishing the education. And I know it's complicated and there's a lot of issues there that we don't have to unravel today. <laughs> I think I need a therapist for all of it. I think there's probably a lot going on. I think we all need a therapist for a lot of stuff. 
this podcast is primarily focused on, you know, independent music and the DIY scene. And I think one thing that's really interesting about, for me personally, about being involved in this world with you is that this is not the world that inspired you to become a musician. And it's not a world that you were really very familiar with until uh, the advent of when particles collide and, 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 and when we started touring and putting out our own music. So I'm a little curious about how it's been for you getting to know that world when you weren't really, that wasn't your introduction to music and sort of DIY rock and roll Indie, you know, independent rock and roll, indie rock was not really why and how you became a musician. So I'm just, you know, sort of curious about what that's been like for you being so immersed in that world for the past, I guess, nine years, <laughs> really immersed in it for the past two. Right. Um, it's, it's a culture shock. <laughs> I think it might be a one good way to put it. It's nothing like I'm used to. I have moments where I have to tell myself in my head that people do this because they love it, not because they're always great at it. <laughs> they have something to say. Do you have to think about that when I'm singing and no, playing? No, <laughs> that's not what I said. I wouldn't admit to it either way. But it took me a while, and it still does take me a while sometimes, to get past that, the fact that people are really more focused on what they have to say, what they have to play than they were on were slash are on the technicality of it all. I mean, we have played some with some great bands that are technically very good. Their, you know, their tone is great on their instrument. They, they know how to control their pitch with their instrument and their vocals are, you know, pretty spot on for, rock and roll which is a lot harder sometimes to me than it is for someone that is in theater or choir because they're not moving as much as people that right. are playing and usually playing and singing in a rock band there's a lot more going on i mean musical theater is a little different if you're dancing but for the most part theater and opera singers and choral singers are trained to do more of that where we're performing with people that haven't really been trained that way 90% of the time. Do you feel like there's a, a, I don't know what the right word is, but like when you're trained to be a singer in the, the kind of environments you were just talking about, like in a choir, musical theater, yeah, classically trained, classically trained in some way that your role is to be, to interpret and be an instrument of sort of the musical creative ideas of other people. So the music is already written. The, the, there's a director mm -hmm. who's got the creative vision. And the role of a singer in a situation like that is to bring to life as accurately and professionally as possible the Someone, musical vision of somebody yeah, else. Somebody else's work. Yeah. yeah. And that... Yeah, I mean... It's different for a lot of independent artists. Too, yeah. Sort of, I mean, there's, you know, there's still the... The, you know, how actors say that they bring their own thing to a character, like they develop who they think the character is. I mean, you can develop what you think the song is also, but you are taking someone's direction. Right. 
most of the time. You can put a little bit of flavor on it yourself, but I mean, you are being directed by a choral director or by right. an actual director if it's a musical or a conductor if it's um, band related or orchestra related. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I just think sometimes it's weird in, in our world that like, you know, bands or singer songwriters have to write the music, write the lyrics, write the melody, come up with the costuming, come up with the stage show, you know, do sort of something that in a, like a musical production, different people would be in charge of all of those things, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just sort of like, that is also not only the training is different, but like the sort of approach that to the, who's responsible for those creative decision-making things are, you know, is really different in those worlds too. Yeah. Well, especially at the independent level, I think once you start getting to the, well, sure. Yeah. Spice girls, for example, that's level. Yeah. <laughs> someone is making all those decisions. Right. This is what you're going to wear. This right, is right. the dancing. These are, you probably don't even get to pick a set list for some people. Right. Someone else is making all those decisions for you. But at this level, it's all it's all the people in the band. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or a person in the band, depending on what the vision is. Right, for sure. Does it, you know, it's sort of interesting. One thing I think about a lot when we play with bands and, you know, we make our own records and songs and stuff, you know, we see a, a, lo- a skill level that maybe isn't, you know, guitar playing, you know, that person who were watching play guitar could not, for example, sit in in the pit of a Broadway musical and play the guitar parts. You know, they couldn't read the music and play, you know, any sort of style that is Mm -hmm. required in musical theater. They couldn't, you know, necessarily be like a session musician. And maybe they're not making music that's going to become nationally viable. Do you still see the, the value in it? Is it hard to see the value in it? Does it feel, you know, sometimes I wonder about that, like, the idea that there's this world of musicians that aren't world-class, whatever that means. I hate to use the word class. I hate to use the word class. I kind of hate it, but that aren't ready to, you know, play any style sort of at the drop of a hat, but are, have their own niche and their own thing. Like that's probably not going to go national, not going to go international, might just stay right there in their hometown. Like, the sort of value of that. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a value. And I was talking to someone about this the other day after we played a set. And there's two, th- two things, I think, that receive the value. And that is you yourself receive the value because it is something artistically um, that you need to get out. Uh, mm-hmm. It might not be artistically, but like you, you have something inside the, you that you need to say or play or get out. And the second thing is 99% of the time, I don't even think there is a 99.9%. It could <laughs> even be 100% of the time. Someone else is going to find something in that song. And it might take 15 years for someone to find it. But as long as like one other person has some sort of connection to that music being either 
the the actual music or the vocals or the lyrics that is why it's needed um that's why it's important it doesn't mean you have to be a broadway caliber musician a uh an orchestra symphony caliber musician they are really good at what they do but a high percentage of them can play exactly what you know jenny so-and-so is playing in tuscaloosa alabama they can play exactly what she played but it won't sound nearly the same right because there's a real feeling to it by the person that originally wrote it you know so i think it it's important like i fall into i'm sure probably both categories because i'm very trained in one way but not so trained in the other even though somebody could technically sing or perform something perfectly it wouldn't give the same meaning as yeah. the person who wrote it and might not be singing it or playing it yeah. technically perfectly. So, I mean, it is important for all, all mm, professional isn't the, the word I'm looking for. All, uh, abilities, abilities. Yeah. All, all the different abilities to be able to perform music for all those reasons. Yeah. As I listened back to my interview with Chris, I kept thinking about a lot of our comments and even our hesitation in talking about these ideas of passion versus professionalism or imperfection versus perfection. And I kept thinking about the last four years that I spent as a high school chemistry teacher, which as some of you know, uh, was my job for 18 years before Chris and I became full-time musicians. And the last four years were spent at what is often called a elite boarding school. And we had a lot of conversations among teachers and among students and teachers about what exactly elite means and whether or not students were qualified to do the work. Um, some pretty disturbing conversations, actually. I was very excited to go to this school because I wanted to be around kids who could do the work and would do the work. And by the time I left that school, I'd really changed my mind because I'm not convinced that elite or the best in the country means doing the hardest problems in the book or writing the longest research paper with the most references correctly cited. I'm not sure that playing the hardest riffs or singing the highest notes also makes someone the best. It does put folks into a different category, I suppose, when you can do the hardest problems in the book and you can do them the fastest and you can write the longest, biggest, most thoroughly researched essay for your history class. 
but I'm not sure that that really has anything to do with quality and with heart and with what ultimately connects with other people, with what connects us. If it helps you connect to your own humanity, to the humanity and the experience of others, to your own sorrow, to your own empathy, to your anger, to any of your emotions, then it is of the highest quality out there. And I think Chris and I both struggle with keeping that concept in the forefront of our minds, not only as we listen to other artists play, and yes, sometimes they are out of key and out of time, and instruments are out of tune, and pitch is lost. But maybe that's not really the point all the time. And I think it's really important for both of us to be forgiving with ourselves as well, as I often listen back to our own performances and think, oh my God, I'm singing horribly, I'm playing terribly. Could not everyone hear that glaring flat note at the end of that phrase? I'm not doing the hardest problems in the book. I'm not getting them right. And so I think about so many kids in high school who are told they're not good at English, they're not good at chemistry, they're not good at math. I'm just not a math person. And I think math, it's the language that allows us to get anything done that we want to do. And I think we need to be a lot more gentle with ourselves and with each other. Speaking of independent music, speaking of (laughs) people who aren't trained like me, we're going to have you pick a song of yours for our listeners to listen to. Just want to ask you a few questions about that song. I'll talk a little bit about the writing process, any sort of collaboration that went on, anything that you would like our listeners to know about that song, since we were just talking about, you know, a song having a particular meaning. And I don't think I really prepped you that I was going to ask you this question, so I think... Yeah, well, it's really unfair, because I've only written two songs. Well, I mean, you've contributed to a lot of our songs, so yeah, you but can you, talk about anything you know you I don't know all the lyrics to all the songs. <laughs> I, I don't even don't, know what they're all about. You don't have to talk about the lyrics, you know. This is, you know, your perspective as a drummer and singer and, you know, arranger and writer and yeah, the band. I sing an entire song, and I don't even know what the song's about. That is malarkey you totally know what the song is about i only know what it's about because you say what it's about every single time but when i listen to myself (laughs) sing the words i'm like i don't even know what i'm singing right now what does this have to do with asking for help (laughs) oh let's go through let's get into that then other than the fact that we're saying we're gonna need you now all right so we're gonna talk about the song we're gonna need you now i'm not gonna remember the lyrics now because i don't have to actually sing it well, I, I'd love to get into like what lyrics you sing that you're not sure what they mean. Is it about the sparrow or the barbed wire? Everything up until we're going to need you now. <laughs> so the lyrics are, when is the season? Is there a day when you awake? A cold morning just before the ice cracks the earth. The sparrow she never leaves just bathes in the dust. Now we must pull up the roots and fly my love out west. I think that's just an awful long way to say we're leaving. (laughs) Right? Am I right? Yeah. It's a very long-winded way of saying... Gotta go. Yeah, peace out. (laughs) I'm not clean because I've been just hanging out in the dust. (laughs) 
now we're just going to be dust in the wind because we are <laughs> birds and we're um, flying away. Okay, so I got that part. Okay, so the second verse is... Wait, what comes after that? There's a we, chorus, right? Yeah. Uh, we might take flight. Maybe we'll just run aground. That's the only other lyric in the chorus, aside from we're going to need you now. So, like, we're leaving, but we might need your help. Yeah. Because we're going to run aground. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll work. We might hit an iceberg. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Second verse. Is there a reason? Yeah. We let barbed wire catch our sleeves. Neglect to shed our clothes. Are we afraid of a summer breeze? To someone you love, call up your recklessness. But you know that caution leads us to self-destruct. So is there a reason you let something hold you back? Correct. Barbed wire catching your sleeve. Are you afraid to be naked and exposed? Yes. Are you afraid someone that you love is going to tell you you're a dummy? I think that's (laughs) self-inflicted. Not me. I'm talking about the other person that wrote the lyrics. (laughs) I wrote the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) She thinks people are going to tell her that she's stupid. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. But you know that caution leads us to self-destruct. Yeah. Thinking about it too much means that we might not do it. Yeah. Also, if you don't do the thing that you're thinking about doing, you might just, in my case, drink too much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You want to talk a little bit about the writing process or recording process? Do Do you remember? For what, that song? Yeah. I wanted nothing to do with that song. <laughs> I know. I still remember like writing the lyrics on the back of posters, I think. They were the back of either bad um, New Year's Eve posters, maybe. I think so, yeah. Or it was just like extras that we had printed up that we would just fill out by hand. But they were in, and I had them like taped to the wall in our practice space. But you could never remember the lyrics. No, I still can barely remember them. <laughs> I mean, we both have that problem. I can't remember the lyrics of many songs. But let's talk about the writing and recording process, because you hated the song for a really long time. Yeah, I mean, I still don't love it. Really? No, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Do you not like it because it's not a rock song? It has its moments. It can be very pretty, but I think I'm just super picky sometimes about... The way it's played and the way it's sang, uh, the way stuff stuff is EQ'd. I want it to sound perfect because it's just the way I am. So and do you mean like the guitar tone and like the other person singing? Uh, I'm not so worried about your singing because it's almost always right. And again, that's you know that's a thing that has to do with feeling. Mm-hmm. of the song but also like i have to take into account everything else that's going on like what kind of room are we in is it freezing out is it hot and humid like are our voices like really good have we been singing for three hours already you know and then sometimes it is tonally i'm like oh i don't i'm just not feeling the way the guitar sounds right now or yeah i feel like there was like a hot, like two months where you like put everything you have into singing that song. And then there are some weeks where I'm like, 
Chris does not want to be singing this song. Sometimes I feel it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes, again, has to do with what it sounds like at the front. has to do with what I can hear. So the monitor mix and the front of the house mix. Monitor mix, front of house mix. Again, if your guitar is in or out of tune, which can happen at the blink of an eye. Sure, yeah. Especially with weather, yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, guitars are not a notorious instrument for staying in tune. No. Yeah. So... You know, I almost look forward to the day that we either have a third person or we somehow incorporate keys instead of guitar. Well, on the recorded version of that song, this, I didn't know yeah. if you were going to talk about that. Like, we recorded it with guitar. Yeah, we recorded the song twice. So we recorded it with guitar. We laid down all the vocals. And then we listened to it. And we were like, that guitar, guitar, that guitar sounds horrid. Yeah, we thought so the we whole song So we went back sucked. into the studio. Yeah. yeah. And then do you remember re- recording the... So you recorded the piano. I recorded the entire song. Yeah. I mean, I sang on it. Yeah. But I mean, it, I did vocals, I did piano, and I did um, organ Yeah, on that song. That uh, really put you out. I feel like you were a little out of your comfort zone playing the piano and organ. Like, it's not. Yeah. it was. Well, it's a lot of repetition because it's over. You know, you're playing it over and over and over again. And I do play keys, but like once you really, I could do it. When I don't have to think about it. And like, you know, after three times, you're like, then you start thinking about the part you screwed up the last time. And Studio work is weird, studio right? Studio work is it's weird. It's very different. Yeah. So, I mean, it took me probably a good hour to get the piano part done. See, you are an indie rock artist at heart. Why? Because it took me an hour? Yeah. yeah. Well, at least it sounds really good. There are people that play for an hour and it still sounds like butthole. No, I'm just not kidding. naming any names. You did a great job. I'll do it off off air. <laughs> Is it hard Tracks. for you to not be the singer in the band because the primary singer because you are so trained in voice? No, because you know, I still don't believe that I am. Tr- I mean, I believe I am trained, but I don't believe I am a person that can front a rock band. Do you think you could front some other kind of project? I don't know. I'd have, I I have no idea. I don't feel like my voice is suited for it at all. I feel like it's too different. Do you wish you were singing in some other kind of project? I mean, the only... Do you think you wish you were in an all-male four-person barbershop quartet? No. Okay. No, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say the only thing that I would be able to do or would want to do would be stage singing. To musical theater? Yeah. But I don't think I can, you can, it, very rarely do you see someone that can do both. I mean, you listen to people that are stars on Broadway that have like their own album and their <laughs> stuff that like your 50 year old mother would listen to, like, you know, while cleaning the house. I don't know. Like, it's super cheesy, easy listening. It's it's horrible is what it is. <laughs> it makes me be like, you should... Ju- I know it's a passion for you. This is probably a passion project, but like, don't do it. So circling back. Okay, circling back to when we first talked about your introduction to the world of like independent rock and roll. What's just harder to listen to? Like maybe not the worst, not the worst that we've ever heard, but like pretty average band that we hear out on the road touring 
and a Broadway, professional Broadway singer doing their own stuff. Which would you rather listen to? I think it depends on what my mood is. <laughs> because I could totally still listen to some Broadway people try and do their like... Uh, passion project. Their passion project. <laughs> but I don't know. Sometimes... Usually passion projects are recorded very well. So there's oh, there's that yeah, benefit yeah, yeah. to it where we both know that we're kind of recording snobs. And it's hard sometimes to listen to bad recordings. Like the music might be really good, but the recording is just not great. It's so funny that you mentioned that. I think both of us have had the experience, especially me, listening back to music that I loved in even college. So like 91, 92, 93 for me, you know, musicians that I fell in love with music that I loved, 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 loved. And you go back and listen. And I still like the songs, but oh my gosh, are they recorded horribly? Yeah. I mean, I like old jazz and you listen to old jazz and you're just like, why can't this be recorded better? Well, cause it was recorded in 1920. Cause there's a microphone in a room. At Carnegie hall. Like <laughs> yeah. this is all, it's a big two microphones in the room. It's, it's yeah. it. Yeah, totally. I obviously know what role touring takes in your life, which is, is primarily what you do as a musician and, and your primary source of income is touring. I know that because it's the same for me. <laughs> we spend every day together. But what's an assumption or a thought you had about touring or playing live that's changed now that you've been doing it for a while? Well, originally you think it's going to be fun. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's fun. But when you get to the point where we are, where we're not just going out on tour for two weeks when we have vacation it's a job so we may be having fun but it's nowhere near the fun that we first had right because like like i have said three times already it's a job you meet people on the road that want to buy you drinks or want you to come over and have an after party want to do this want to do that well and the reality is i have to get up at 10 o'clock the next morning to drive six hours to the next place to do it all over again. And I can't be hungover. I can't feel like crap. I can't eat like crap because I have to do this job the next day because my livelihood depends on it. If I don't have a good show, even if there's only 10 people there, then those 10 people won't like the band won't want to buy a CD, won't want to buy a t-shirt, won't want to put any money in a tip jar. You know, it's 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 different in that way. You know, you thought it was going to be a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun when you first start doing it. And it is still fun, but it's fun in a completely different way now. It's a fun job. It's a fun job. I mean, it's a job that we both wanted to do because it's something we're extremely passionate about, music. The lifestyle of living on the road is completely different than what you originally expect. You meet people. I think we have met more and made more friends, lifelong friends, than we had ever thought we would. That's something that I don't even think I thought would happen. Yeah, same. And it was kind of a um, a treasure in disguise, you know. You never knew that was a possibility. And, you know, here we are recording this podcast tonight in a friend's place in Michigan. You know, his 
it's a parent's summer home, so we're completely by ourselves, and we never would have met them had we not been out on tour and played with them. I don't know how many times we've played together. Oh my like, god, so, countless, it, countless. Yeah, it's got to be at least twenty. I mean, they've yeah. even they've come all the way up to Maine. Yeah. And you know, stayed at my parents' house as well. So. You know, to, to be clear, not the parents of the friend. They haven't been. They haven't been yeah, playing shows. No, but, the yeah. person in the band. <laughs> They, you know, that's something that you don't think about and you might hear about from other bands. Like you're going to make, you know, all these friends along the way and whatnot, but you don't think that it's going to be as big of a deal. You know, we've, we've traveled 13 hours for a wedding for a friend of ours that we met on the road that was getting married. And, you know, we were just asked the other day to play at someone else's wedding that we've played with before. So, I mean, it. That is something that you don't know about, but yeah. happens, and it is an amazing end result of touring. Yeah. How about some recommendations for bands for our listeners? So this one's gonna be easy because Sasha's wearing the T-shirt. Oh, yeah. um, I am <laughs> always. This, this band from Rogers, Ohio. They are called Album. Uh, not the easiest to find, so you need to put in Rogers, Ohio when you look for them. But an amazing trio, uh, two brothers and one really good friend that they've just been together for a very long time. Uh, check them out. There's a great band called Railgun in Richmond, Virginia. Um, That's an example of a band whose first recordings are not of the highest quality. Yeah. But the songs are incredible. The live performance is amazing, and they're you know they're back in the studio. Um, and hopefully we'll get some new stuff from them yeah. in maybe later this year or early 2020. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a really good band to look band. out for. Yeah. There's another band actually that's releasing an album later this year that we haven't seen in a little while uh, that I think is really good. Um, they're called In Motion. They're oh, from Florida, from yeah. From Florida. It's a band called Lung from Cincinnati. Absolutely. I'm trying to give all bands that are like still together and doing things. Right. <laughs> There's some good ones that our friends from uh, I'm gonna just chime in. Our friends from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, Old Game just put out an extraordinary yep. EP, and uh, Jess Klein and the Good Time are gonna be putting out a record probably early next yeah. year. I think Jess has some solo stuff out there, yeah. which is I'm really beautiful, it's beautiful and amazing as I'm well. I'm just really looking forward to the full band yeah. stuff. Um, let's see. Those are some good recommendations. You should check out Plasma Canvas from. Fort Collins, Colorado. It's another awesome duo. And we just met another duo just the other night when we were in Wisconsin. Uh, no, uh, Minnesota. We were in Minnesota. And they're called the Sorted Affairs. Sorted. Not sorted. Sorted Affairs. Uh, so good. So wonderful. Both, both bands. Nasty, disgusting, shredding guitars and like, super bombastic drums. A really, really good treat to listen to. Uh, I know I'm going to leave people out, We're which gonna, is the hardest inevitably thing. Inevitably, we'll leave people out. But we can, you know what, we'll just, at the end of every podcast, we'll do a Sasha and Chris yeah. Recommends. KGL's coming out with a new album, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. KGL or King's German Legion. They're from uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Sweet rock and roll. Yeah, some sweet southern rock and roll. So, yeah, maybe we'll like keep it to like five or six recs per podcast so we... 
don't kill ourselves by not remembering everybody. Spread the love. <laughs> we're going to have to like write everything down. We're going to have to write it all down. Keep a Lists, keep Chris. A, we're going to have to keep a spreadsheet of the bands <laughs> as they happen. Well, Chris, thanks for sitting down and talking with me and with you, um, yeah. the host of the Unstoppable Rock Podcast. We're also your hosts, Chris Viner and Sasha Alcott. And uh, yeah, we're signing off for now. And uh, keep rocking. Okay, that was it. The first episode of the Unstoppable Rock Podcast. I had a really fun time talking with Chris. I even got to ask him some questions I really didn't know the answers to, which is amazing considering that we've spent the last nine years pretty much inseparable in the last two years living in a van together (laughs) touring the country. I do want to uh, mention one thing really quickly. In our conversation, Chris mentions a 50-year-old mother cleaning the house, and I would just like to point out that Chris and I both know that a father might also be cleaning the house. In fact, I, I hope he is right at this moment. So without any further ado, we're going to play in its entirety our song, When Particles Collide song, We're Gonna Need You Now, which we discussed in the second half of this podcast, uh, which is available wherever you get your music. And you can also find When Particles Collide on Spotify, Bandcamp, Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter, although we don't seem to tweet a lot. You can also find us online at whenparticlescollide.com. You can find information about our Patreon there, as well as all of our tour dates and how to find our music. Thanks again for joining us on the Unstoppable Rock Podcast. We'll check in with you again soon. Thanks. When is the season? Is there a day when you are away? A cold morning just before the ice cracks the earth. The sparrow she never leaves just bays in the dust. Now we must pull up the roots and fly, my love, our west. Summer breeze to someone you love.